tea, overflowing ashtrays, one underworked barman paid for by the YTS, who was doing nothing to quieten the two rowdies as he gave a few half-washed pint mugs a casual wipe with a grubby cloth and placed a full bottle of lemonade on the bar, just out of McKinley's reach. No, my sort of place was about six miles or so due west, in the city or the West End, where they know the difference between a wallbanger and a slow, comfortable screw, where you need a collar and tie to get in and a full wallet to enjoy yourself, where noisy drunks don't bump into dangerous drunks and trouble is nipped in the bud. Everyone called McKinley Get-Up because of an unfortunate incident that happened almost seven years ago. Seven years which he'd spent in Wormwood Scrubs, cooped up with prisoners who went to a lot of trouble to be nice to him. At the age of twenty-nine, he'd found his vocation as a bodyguard-cum-thug protecting a wholesale drugs dealer, who arranged for heroin and cocaine to be brought in from Amsterdam, Ireland or America, anywhere he could get it and mixed with talc or sugar or whatever white powder was floating about before selling it on to smaller dealers. It was cash and carry, and the 75% profit margin was more than enough to pay McKinley a decent wage. His downfall came when the drug dealer decided to branch out and put up the money for an armed robbery. Three up-and-coming young villains had made him an offer he hadn't wanted to refuse. If he put up £2,000 for the shotguns, the getaway car and the other expenses... He would be in for half of whatever they got from the superstore in Hackney they'd been casing for the best part of two weeks, and they reckoned the take could be as high as £65,000. The three geniuses behind the plan were Alvin Miller, Dick Wallace and Charlie Leonard, three ne'er-do-wells whose combined IQ was less than the tube fare from Clapham Common to Clapham South. They'd already done over a couple of filling stations and a post office with flick knives and hatchets, but the money had been frittered away. Now they reckoned they were ready for the big time. But for that, they needed a stake. Ronnie Lang, McKinley's boss, was just the man to help three youngsters along the path to riches. For a price. Lang slipped them the cash in used notes in a brown envelope and waited. Three days later, Miller phoned to say that the job was off. Leonard had all but lost his leg slipping off a ladder while decorating his mum's front room. He was in hospital, in pain, and no way was the job going ahead with just the two of them. A hundred and eighty pounds was left in the kitty, and Ronnie was welcome to that, and the three sawn-off shotguns. No chance, said Lang. Get someone else, or all three of you will have broken legs. Like who? asked Miller. Like McKinley, said Lang. And now I'm in for 60% of the action. 24 hours later, McKinley, Miller and Wallace were sitting in a four-year-old rover with Miller's brother Tommy acting as driver, going over the plan for the last time. All three would go in carrying holdalls, put a few things in wire baskets, use three separate checkouts and then pull out the shooters. Miller would fire his, they'd get the girls to empty their cash registers, while Wallace got the manager to empty his safe in the office. Simple. They'd already gone through it three times for McKinley, as he sat in the back seat, his shotgun dwarfed by the fingernail-bitten hands in his lap. They moved. Miller went in first, Wallace second, 
McKinley counted to fifty and followed. All the blue-handled wire baskets had gone, so he grabbed a trolley and pushed. One of the rear wheels was sticking and it squeaked sideways along the tiled floor as he wandered down past the cereals, picking up packets of cornflakes and frosties. He threw in a tin of dog food. He'd always wanted a dog. And by the time he got to the checkout, Miller and Wallace were waiting, fuming silently. McKinley frowned an apology and Miller nodded twice. All three threw off their woolly caps, pulled down their stocking masks and brought out the guns. Miller pointed his at the ceiling and pulled the trigger. The noise was deafening, bits of the plasterboard ceiling fell around him in a cloud, sticking to his stocking like pieces of tissue paper to a cut chin. Right, get down on the floor now, he yelled, but nobody moved. One of the young girls sitting...